Hi folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. It's the isolation that destroys us. The solution is in community. Today on the podcast, we have David Israel and Spencer Oberg, two successful entrepreneurs who both served time in prison. You might know them by their vegan cheese company, Good Planet Foods, or by their media company, Unincarcerated. In this episode, we certainly go into David and Spencer's pre-prison backstories, but more, we learn the nuts and bolts of how to be an entrepreneur and how to succeed after prison, the hard work it takes, how to analyze your strengths and weaknesses, and how to get past the shame to find your authenticity. So coming up, the entrepreneurs, David Israel and Spencer Oberg on White Collar Week. I hope you will join us. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week, a podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries, the world's first ministry serving the white-collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white-collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer, so I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Hi, folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. We have two very special guests. Today we have David Israel and Spencer Oberg. Um, they're both entrepreneurs and have been very successful since their release from prison. Um, also successful prior to in different ways. And we're going to let them tell a little bit of their backstories, um, especially as it relates to their entrepreneurial journey to Good Planet Foods, which is a vegan cheese company on the West Coast. And also, uh, their, um, strategy and vision for unincarcerated, which I think is a media company and uh, meant to uh, tell stories and advance uh, criminal justice reform throughout the country. So David Spencer, welcome to White Collar Week. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be here. David, why don't we start with you? I've seen both of your unincarcerated podcasts where you go deep into your backgrounds and David, I'm hoping what you can do in four or five minutes is just kind of bring us up through your, uh, I know it's a, a big story, but bring us up through kind of your release. Because then I want to know, we want to get to where you and Spencer met each other and then how you launched post-prison into uh, the latest stages of your entrepreneurial journey. Okay, four or five minutes. I'm going to talk quick. Uh <laughs> So, I mean, as you know, look, I've, I've really worked for myself uh, since I was 19, uh, been in a lot of different businesses, uh, which at first seemed like a lot because I was all over the place. I was moving from nightclub to foreign cars to jewelry. Uh, but you know what? At the end of the day, it's an amazing education uh, because I'm doing so many different things and learning how to work with a lot of different people. So uh, as much as I wanted to go to college, uh, and I did leave college after two years because I thought I was making so much money. Um, you know, I was wanting to go back, but uh, I felt I should have that. But at the end of the day, um, when I was in the jewelry industry, uh, you know, I, I started with a company called, oh, no, I did not. I started with a jewelry store where I, a partner of mine who had a family business here uh, sold and wanted to open a new store. Uh, and I tagged along with him and I actually put every penny I had into it. Um, and what happened was we, we opened in a mall, uh, 
in northern Seattle, which was a pretty decent mall at the time. But about the store didn't do very well. Uh, and after about nine months of being there, uh, we're doing okay at best. The Nordstrom shuts down and moves out. Uh, Frederick and Nelson's, which was a Marshall Field, the other anchor moves out. All the other stores are starting to close down. And I'm, we're like, uh-oh, this is a problem. Uh, and what happens is that problem turns out to be a blessing because, as we learned, the reason everybody's not, they're not moving out, the landlord's not resigning them and trying to get them out because Home Depot and Costco want to build there. So uh-huh. uh, we had a, we, one great thing is we signed a long lease. So uh, that lease turned out to be very valuable and we made a lot of money on it. And when I, we sold that for about a year and a half. Uh, all these jewelers started calling me because they're always cash strapped, right? You, very hard to get financing the jewelry business, uh, especially if you're mom and pop because you can move your inventory around or you don't own your inventory or sure. whatever. So I start loaning them money, uh, but I'm taking collateral. So it grows into a business. I create a company called First Funds and I start lending money to all types of businesses, not just not just jewelry, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, precious metals, we're coin companies. Pawn shops start calling me, and you know, as I'm lending money to these pawn shops, I'm thinking to myself, "Man, they, they treat their customers like crap. Their stores look like garbage, uh, and, or like thrift, like poor thrift shops. Yeah, everything's overpriced. Their, their hours are bad. And I'm just like, but they're making bank. You know, uh, they're making a lot of. I can tell they they have a lot of cash. So." But they can't get financing, so I came in, and I ended up being a pawn shop to pawn shops. I take collateral against my loans. Uh, and after about a year of doing that, I, I pick up a Fortune magazine one day, and, and I read about this company out of Texas called Cash America. Uh, and they went public, and, and the article is just so glowing about their stocks going through the roof. They're consolidating moms and pops. They're turning them into retail stores, and they have a picture. And I thought to myself, you know what? Uh, I need to do this. Uh, and I need to do it quickly because I want to grow faster than them uh, or I want to grow and have them gobble me up. So, mm-hmm. you know, I flew down. I knew nothing about pawn shops other than what I saw. Uh, I flew down to Texas. I looked at all their stores. Well, in the Dallas area, videotaped them, uh, came back, went back again, did some more diligence. And I came back and I talked to a friend of mine's father who was very sophisticated investor, dialed in with a you know, the who's who in Seattle. He goes, well, you need to raise some capital and you need to just replicate what they do. Uh, so basically, you're a target. Uh, so I did. I, I opened my first store. I sold my house to open my first store. My wife was not thrilled, but uh, she supported me. And uh, I opened my first store. And you know what? Literally, you could have come and all you had to do was change the sign uh, and you could open a Cash America. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just I did everything exactly. The, the counters were the same. The floors were the same. The paint was the same. Uh, just the name and the logo was different. Yeah. But it was built to be a Catch America. So, look, I really didn't know what I was doing, Jeff. I mean, I could have, you know, I was, I was, we opened our doors and literally the first guy that came in, came in with a Sawzall. I, I never even saw a Sawzall before. Uh, so he's like, I want to borrow. I'm like, well, how much, how much did you want to borrow? And he's like, well, I need X. You know, I'm like, oof. I'm like, hold on. And I went in the back room and I I called another pawn shop and pretended I was a guy. I'm like, hey, I have a model something or other. Uh, how much would you guys loan me on it? And the, of course, the, the guy's a jerk. You know, he's like, well, hold it up to the phone. I can't see it. <laughs> like, okay, pal. 
I go, just give me a ballpark. So he gave me a ballpark and I went out and made my first, first loan on a tool. So I had a lot to learn. Um, at any rate, uh, we grew that company very quickly. Uh, I actually, about four months into the business, I allowed my childhood friend who came from a family with some money who didn't enjoy what he was doing, uh, come and join me. And I, I sold him 30% of the company. He invested a substantial amount of money uh, so we could continue to grow. Um, he came and joined me and uh, we built that into nine stores over a three-year period. It was really fast growth. Yeah. Uh, and they were just you know, great team, beautiful stores. We were getting, I was getting, well, I was getting accolades in the press. I was winning, you know, uh, awards from the, the business community. Uh, and my third year, I raised capital from uh, Howard Schultz, the founders of Costco, <clears throat> both boards of Starbucks and Costco. And uh, and the goal was to go ahead and build this. Uh, and, and not about seven months after raising that capital. How much capital uh, did you raise? Uh, at the time, four million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a lot at the time, mm-hmm. uh, especially from a group like that. So mm-hmm. we knew we were on the fast track. And, you know, uh, I went from being a kid that, you know, had no money and uh, growing up envious of people mm-hmm. uh, and wanting to be somebody to being hanging out now and meeting with Howard and Jeff Brotman to smoke cigars you know, in the evenings or on the weekends. And I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I'm the man, right? It's, uh, I'm building an ego there at this point, right? So, um, Anyway, about seven months after raising the capital, uh, you know, I, I, I get a rumbling uh, that we're being investigated uh, mm-hmm. by Seattle police. I'm like, okay. So I call the Seattle police. I go, hey, something up? Uh, anything, you know, no, no, no. Just your bunch of baloney, you know, you, shit happened. People are mad at you for being successful. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, let me know, right? Following week, uh, it's about 5 p.m. in the afternoon. I get a call from a store manager at our first store, and he says, hey, uh, the police and a prosecutor are here with a search warrant, uh, and they want to they want to take our computer and our records. I said, okay. I said, well, give it to them. You know, I said, uh, and anyway, the, the, some detective gets on. He goes, hey, you know, we're going to take I said, well, we're happy to provide you with whatever you need. I said, any chance? you can get the information you need and download it so we can be in business tomorrow because that's going to shut us down. And they're like, Oh, sure. No problem. Right. I'm like, well, you can have whatever you need. Uh, anyway, so obviously there's something going on. We contact our company attorneys. We have no clue, but, uh, two weeks later I get something. It's like a parking ticket. Uh, you know, one of those summons for a hearing yeah. uh, uh, for receiving stolen property for me. Right. Then my partner disappears for two days uh, and reappears and wants to meet me. So I'm like, okay, so, something's up here, right? This, this is your old friend. My childhood friend. Your childhood friend. Yes, a very close best friend. There were mm-hmm. three of us. That were, we called us the three musketeers. We were so tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, any rate, uh, he had a memory lapse and couldn't recall anything that happened. But apparently, uh, our third month in business at our first store, we had bought some merchandise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the guy that sold us some of that merchandise got, he was already in prison, but he's about to get charged with some something else, nothing related to this. Yeah. He said, hey, I got the story. And I, this guy was my ringleader. Uh, and he I, he, I went out, my group and I went out and 
stole stuff, whatever, robbed people. And yeah. He, he would sell, take it from us. Right. So. So he said you were, you, he said you were his fence. More like I was the ringleader. Oh, yeah. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was the big guy. Right. Mm. Uh huh. Uh, I was the godfather. So, uh, end of the day, um, I hired an attorney. The attorney calls the prosecutor. The prosecutor says, okay, you know what? Here's the deal. Uh, it's 90 days receiving stolen property. So my guy's like, okay, 90 days. I said, no, not going to do it. Wasn't it not, not intentional, not going to happen. So breaks got put on, you know, we started going back and forth. Uh, then they raised it to conspiracy, which covered everything that these guys, every, every crime they committed. And they gave, oh gosh, what do they call it? They gave uh, immunity. Thank you. Immunity to everybody, my partner, people that committed the crimes, everybody but David. Uh, and it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was like, let's go after this guy. And it was a media. Thing. I mean, yeah. I, I just, you know, had been in the media for winning all these business awards and for having this great story. So I had, uh, once that happened, I resigned from my company. I wanted to protect my investors, yeah. uh, which in hindsight wasn't doing the right thing right away was probably not the best thing for me. I should have negotiated because they ran for the hills anyway and just left me in the dust. Yeah. Because um, they didn't want to be attached to me, which I understand, but I would have thought there'd be a little more loyalty, uh, yeah. but there wasn't. So, you know what, man? It was a wild story. I mean, things were just crazy. Uh, anyway, since, we, since since I know the story, what, why don't you kind of jump to how long you were in the criminal justice system before you finally decided to fold? Yeah. We had two prosecutorial appeals. Mm -hmm. uh, so it took me seven years from the time we tried to go to trial uh, until the time it ended. And there could have been uh, ahead of trial, but it was reversed. So uh, seven years later, I had an opportunity. The, the prosecutor lost their appeal, but they had the opportunity to retry me. And I was like, seven years, a million three gray clouds. I've had to start two businesses and sell one because of the situation. Yeah. I told my wife, I, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I couldn't go through another trial. I couldn't risk the 15 or 20 years they wanted to burn me for, for which I shouldn't even be doing anyway. I said, I just have to get this done. And she agreed with me. We came up with a plan. I hired an attorney and they said, you know, two years, you plead guilty. I said, I'm not pleading guilty. That's not coming out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I, I took a plea for, it's called an Alfred plea. It's like a no contest. And uh, I went to prison for, for 48 months. Where'd you serve? State prison. Uh, started at Shelton and then the rest of the time in Monroe. Mm -hmm. um, but, hey, it was no fun, um, obviously. Uh, it was not something I would have ever, I wouldn't want to do it again, but I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, I would not. It's something I'm glad I, I went through. It's, I'm something my, my family struggled through it, but prevailed. I mean, my family's doing amazing. My wife is successful. My kids are all thriving. So we did a good job as a family. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, I'll give accolades to the Department of Corrections. They went out of their way for me and my family. I mean, above and beyond for a lot of than they do for most people to help uh, help us maintain a, <clears throat> as normal as situations. <clears throat> you know, they let me celebrate birthdays in the administration conference room with my kids. I mean, mm. just 
those extra things that made it more tolerable, right? Mm. Uh, more human. Mm. So, Jeff, it's where I learned a lot about myself and about people. Uh, my my perspective of who I was going to see in prison uh, is the same as everybody else's. That yeah, of course. Me, yeah. Right? Uh, they're the garbage of society that needs to be flushed down the toilet mm -hmm. uh, or not associated with. Right. And that's what I went in with. Uh, my mindset was I'm going to stick to myself. I'm not going to communicate with any of this garbage. And I'm just going to get through this. Right. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't eight hours of being in prison that I started seeing humanity at a level I, I haven't experienced before. A real, guys, a real community in there. Well, guys that I didn't know, yeah. they were looking out for me, helping me, reaching out about anything. There's nothing I could give them in return. Uh, saying, I mean, we're in jail. I don't even know how anything works, right? And, we're, and they have the, it's freezing. They're giving me blankets. They're telling me, what not to do and what I can do, how to communicate, you know, with the guards. I didn't know what a kite was. I mean, I'm looking to ring some buzzer to talk to somebody. I, mean, I had no clue, right? Where's, you know, do I dial on the front desk? I mean, no clue at all. <laughs> I got to tell you one funny thing, man. Yeah, go ahead. This is just different. When my wife drops me off, I have to turn myself in. Yeah. I go to turn myself in at the county jail. And I walk in and the guy says, can I help you? So I'm here to have to turn myself in. He goes, name, David Israel. All right. ID, please. I said, oh, I said, I didn't bring my ID. He goes, well, I can't let you in. <laughs> I'm like, well, who, who would want to come? It's four years. It's four years. He goes, I'm sorry. He goes, where's your ID? And I had, I came at the last minute. I had to turn myself in by yeah. steps. He goes, well, where's your ID? I said, it's at my house in Bellevue. He goes, okay. He goes, how much time do you need to go get it? I said, probably an hour. He goes, how about I give you six? I go, Six more hours? He goes, I said, I just, he goes, take, my wife is with me. He goes, take it. So I'm like, anyway, I stop at Costco for a hot dog. We go home to you know, my wife and I have a little more time together. And then she drops me up. And now that, that area is closed. I have to go in the back gate. They let yeah. me in. And I'm walking down the hallway. They tell me to go to some desk. I get to the desk. The guy said, can I help you? I said, yes. I said, uh, I said, I would think just told me to come to the desk. He goes, okay, you ready to check out? He goes, you done? I said, I just got here. Anyway, it was crazy, man. They had, they're looking at me like, I mean, just got here. So I'm, I'm, you know, they thought I was a meeting with myself. Anyway, the guy started helping me and I started realizing that these people are, are not what I thought. But I learned that the whole way through, Jeff. I started seeing people, you know, right now there's a lot about the second chance initiative, which I spoke a lot on and I played a role in, but I kept telling these guys, the people that are out there mm -hmm. preaching and trying to do this second chance. And I'm like, you know what? Most of these people never had a first chance. Yeah, exactly. So they don't need a second chance. I mean, they were victims of their environment. I met kids when I would speak at juvenile detention centers. Uh, I was part of this thing in my prison where we would go out and talk. Uh, and some kid came to me. He's like, man, can I stay in touch with you? He was like 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. My mom sends me to steal food. She sends me to steal, you know, uh, tennis shoes. He goes, I don't want to do that. I want to be like you. I go, well, I'm inside too, man. So maybe you don't want to be like me, but I understand what you're saying. I just started realizing there's a lot of victims of circumstance, environment, yeah. uh, you know, just and really intelligent people that didn't want to be who they, what they are, right? Yeah. They wanted to have the right track.
Then I started to meet people when I got to minimum security because I was going to be there for three years, which is or maybe two and a half years, which is a long time for minimum security. Yeah. And I would meet guys that are getting out in a few months and they would say, how can I be? I don't want to do this anymore, David. I said, well, then don't. Go get a job. I'm going to do it. And you know what? A year later, they'd be back in. And I go, what happened? I mean, they had they were smart guys. They had the right money. Well, I got a job, you know, and uh, one day I missed a, or I missed some payments for for what some support thing or another. He said my my community corrections officer got my license suspended and I couldn't get to work. Terrible. And he goes, and after he said after arguing, you know, I lost my job. He goes, and I just he's like, screw it, man. I got to go back and do what I do. And you know, it's those kinds of things. I'm like, man, we got to stop that, right? So I had actually, uh, I just realized that there are some really smart people, brilliant, uh, good guys, you know? Mm-hmm. There's also the other section where you're, you know, okay, yeah, they belong there. We need prisons, right? I mean, yeah. they're not going to change no matter what. But there are a lot. And I would say about, I don't want to throw numbers out there, but if I would just guesstimate 65% of the guys, wanted to change their lives and do things and get on the right track mm. for them, their family, you know, and, and, and I wanted to provide that for them. So yeah. anyway, you know, the rest of the story, I got out. Uh, or let's, let's, let's jump to Spencer and then we'll put the two, okay. then we'll put the two of you together and we can kind of All march right. forward. Yeah. Um, so, so Spencer, you were an entrepreneur too, before you went to prison. I suppose so. I, uh, I didn't quite think of it that way at that point in time, but yeah, I was, I was, I was an entrepreneur with the wrong product. Um, and it started as a pretty young kid, you know, started hustling and selling a little bit of weed on the side and still going to school and keeping up that front of, of, uh, walking the right path. But, uh, you know, all the while my, my mentors, as it were, the, is, I'm an only child and you know, my dad worked nights and everything. So we didn't see each other much. And the, the guys that I was looking up to, that's what they did. They sold drugs and they ran the streets. So I, I did that by night and went to school and had a little job by day and uh, did that for quite a while. I won't get into all the details of it. If somebody wants to hear more of the details, they can listen to my podcast. Um, but ultimately, by the time I was 21, 22, you know, it, the snowball got too big. And I was too busy running on the wrong side of the fence. And I got, uh, I got hit with a 10 year prison sentence for essentially, you know, a bunch of stuff around selling and using drugs and, and, you know, having, um, living what I think a lot of people, um, would call, I guess, kind of a a normal criminal life. Uh, even though from the outside, it didn't look like that. You know, I I was married. I had a great job. I was uh, partners in, in, in an auto shop and had a house and all, all that stuff had all of the trappings of, of what a lot of people would consider the American dream uh, until at three o'clock in the morning, one morning, there's a tank parked on my lawn and, you know, a SWAT team kicking in my door. <laughs> then I think the neighbors were, were questioning what the, uh, the, fa- the facade was all about after that. Um, I think the, ta- the tank is probably a dead giveaway. Oh, that was, yeah, that was pretty crazy. I didn't know that that was a thing outside of the army, but apparently it is. Um, so, you know, having had a few encounters, brief encounters with the criminal justice system before that, yeah. um, you know, I, I think I had gotten to a point where I realized like a, a lot of 
uh, people that, that David was talking about just a minute ago, that I wanted something different, right? That that's not who I really was meant to be. That's not who I wanted to be. And I was bound and determined to figure out uh, who I wanted to be and, and make some damn good progress towards that while I was inside. And, uh, you know, I, I think I, I did a pretty good job of that. And I got a college degree while I was in there. Um, I figured out that I was an entrepreneur while I was in there. It was actually uh, one of one of David's friends, who's now a mentor and friend of mine as well. Jim Donald came in. This is before I met David. Um, came in to give a, a talk at one of our classes and said, you know, you, you guys are entrepreneurs. You're business people. You know, you're out there selling a product. You're out there marketing a product. You're just choosing the wrong damn product. Like, figure it out. And David echoed the same thing later on. Um, and, and once I finally realized that, that, you know, part of my restlessness and my hustle is just because that's the kind of person that I am. That's what gets me, you know, I, I like that. Um, but there's, there's a way to do it as a legitimate business person, a legitimate entrepreneur that adds value to society rather than takes it away. You know, that's, that's what I wanted to spend my time learning how to do. But there wasn't a lot of opportunity to do that. Um, so the college uh, is a nonprofit that was helping to facilitate college in prison at the prison that I was at, uh, which was right next door to the one that David was in a few years before. Um, they helped support me in getting people in to create kind of an entrepreneurship program. And David helped uh, from the outside to, to facilitate that too. So uh, anyway, I'm getting a little bit ahead of the story. So David and I met when I was just trying to put together this entrepreneurship program inside. Uh, he came as a guest speaker at one of the college programs and told his story, which you know, you guys didn't hear half of it on this on this podcast. So definitely check out ours too. Little shameless plug. This story is amazing because you know he he took he took a situation that you know a lot of people think is the worst damn thing that can happen to you, and turned it into an opportunity to not only create something awesome for himself and his family, but to help other people coming out. Uh, he started a successful snack, snack company, Pop Gourmet, that really did focus on hiring people to come in and work the manufacturing and work, some of them worked their way up to executive level. Um, and that was used right in the middle of a pretty successful run at that when I met him. And after I heard his story, I'm just like, man, I, you know, I want, I want what you've got. I want to be able to, um, I, I want to be able to grow into someone like who you are. So as he's walking out the door, I asked him if I could stay in touch and uh, he made the mistake of saying yes. And ever since, I, I don't think I've given the opportunity to shake me loose. Um, and anyway, after that, we collaborated to create Harness Your Hustle, which was the entrepreneurship program inside prison, um, did a few other things, worked on a few other things while I was still in there. And when I transitioned out to work release, he was just in a transition period away from uh, out of Pot Gourmet and starting something new. And uh, I, I don't know if, if he, I don't know how much of it was me convincing him and how much was him wanting to give me an opportunity because he saw something in me, but he told me to, to come join the team and see if it worked out. And I think, you know, looking back over three years now, it's worked out pretty well. And, I've, you know, not only do I still have the awesome mentor that I had uh, even while I was inside, but I have somebody who's 
you know, one of my best friends and a, an amazing business partner too. So, so, so if there, if there's a teachable moment right here, because we all know that inside prison, it's like a think tank. People don't know that people writing business plans, people writing books, people doing, doing a lot of things you wouldn't necessarily expect in a prison. But it seems to me that like, here's the first real practice point, because you can be full of shame and be afraid to make the ask that you made, Spencer, because, because you got to step up and you got to tap David on the shoulder and say, hey, look, I'm here and I'd like to learn from you. I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to be like you. So how is it that you got past yourself to be able to do that in the middle of a 10-year bid? A lot of work. A lot of work. Um, and it, I mean, it wasn't, I got to be honest, I, I was nervous as hell. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't particularly, I don't think anybody really is, but I wasn't particularly fond of rejection. And, uh, you know, didn't really want him to say, hey, that's nice, man, but I'm, I'm busy and sorry. Uh, not that knowing, or not even the little bit that I knew of him just from the, the talk that he gave, not that that was even an indication of something he would do. But there's always that fear, especially when, you know, you don't, um, you don't live a life that, that inspires confidence in yourself for the first 20 years of your life. So, I mean, it took a while, man. I mean, it took small wins. It took, uh, it, it took, you know, making progress toward that degree that I finally got after umpteen years, um, right before I was released. Um, it took a lot of practice in Toastmasters. Toastmasters was a, a big part of my my time in there, you know, learning how to learning how to speak in public. Learning how to, that's that's you know, what it is. I knew you were a Toastmasters guy. Yeah, I've got my got my DTM plaque right next to me. Mm. There's, um, there's there's my National Speakers Association. Oh yeah, perfect. Yes. <laughs> if I wasn't so darn busy, I'd I'd, uh, I'd be a member. Um, so it, you know, it was all those little wins and and those wins came at, with me pushing myself outside of my comfort zone continuously. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you learn after a while that if you're, if you're at a place where you're comfortable, then you're doing something wrong. Mm. You got to be a little bit uncomfortable. You got to get to a point, at least for me, I, I have to live at a point where I've always got a little bit of a, mm. a little bit of a feeling of butterflies in my stomach. Right. Because it's not for me, I've learned that it's just energy. It's not nerves, nervousness. It's not fear. It's just energy. And, it, and you, I can harness that as excitement and do something positive with it. So, you know, when after I was blown away by David's story and there's a bunch of other people trying to talk to him and, and uh, I'm like, well, you know, how am I going to get a few minutes myself? You, you know, you, just, you don't overthink it. You just step into it and say, you know, harness the energy, harness the butterflies. That's beautiful. So, so David, um, you, um, you come out of prison and Spencer just said you, ha you're, you already had one business that you were transitioning out of. So there was a, there was a business there. How as now a, uh, a guy who's been to prison, um, and let's assume that the person that we're talking to our audience is the person who's fresh out of prison, wants to know what is in the art of the possible that um, don't really, doesn't really understand the difference between 
limited possibilities and unlimited possibilities or limitless possibilities. And maybe you have scorched earth behind you. Maybe you have, your reputation's been hurt. Maybe you've had some big investors like uh, Costco and Starbucks. And, and, and so maybe that's going to mean other investors aren't going to look at you the same way. How, how, do you, how do you decide? How do you launch? Well, you know, Jeff, first of all, uh, one thing I will say is that your biggest obstacle when you come out is you. Mm. Uh, what's in your head, right? Because you can't change what anybody else thinks. You can't change the, the, the obstacles or the hurdles that are going to be in front of you uh, that were set by, uh, you know, our judicial system uh, or people's perception. So you are your business obstacle and you got to get it through your head that you can determine your own path forward. Uh, and you're, you know what? Sometimes it's going to be bumpy. Uh, and you know what? Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you've been to prison or not. You're going to have bumps in the road that you got to figure out. So uh, I think for me, yeah, I mean, there was, I wasn't going to get a job, uh, at least not one that, uh, why would that would help me take care of my be part of my family and uh, that I wanted to have and um, so for me it's I have to start a business right um, I wrote the plan for my snack company in prison uh, and my first popcorn uh, product was called the original Big House so um, you know it was really a fortunate ride and fast. Uh, at my company, Popcorn May, because in my third month of business, I did a white truffle popcorn and I heard Oprah liked white truffle. So I sent it back there and she put it in her magazine and became a big fan. Really, they bolstered my business. Uh, they put us in the magazine three times, had me on her uh, Live Your Best Life tour with her here in Seattle. So it was really, I got a lot of support. I got a lot of accolades in the press. So who starts reaching out to me after I, I started my company on credit cards? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I charged them up. That's all I could do. Mm -hmm. But I was getting so much press and accolades for what I was doing with my business uh, with Oprah and then hiring uh, hundreds of guys coming through work release. I started getting uh, the guys that who, who didn't want to associate with me that invested with me at, Pop, at Pond Exchange mm -hmm. started reaching out and saying, we'd like to invest. So, uh you know, everybody wants to be a part of a good story, right? People are fickle that way, aren't they? It's, it's pretty yeah, it's crazy how, you know, they don't want to talk to you one day. The next day they want to get in your pocket. Well, your what, was your backstory <clears throat> part of part of the uh, Pop Corbet story? I mean, when, oh, so, yeah. so, so when you were written about now as the Pop Gourmet guy, your prison story was all folded all into that. Mm -hmm. That Pop Gourmet was all based on that, right? Mm -hmm. So it was... It was the purpose to hire guys, give them opportunities, give them a chance, mm -hmm. uh, as well as build a brand, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we did. We built it internationally. We had production in Russia. We had production in Japan. I mean, it, it grew very quickly over the five years that I built it. And, um, you know, uh, I just decided the more that I learned that it, the more I could just live my life and tell my story and own it, not worry about it the easier it got. And not only that, the more positive it became, right? So when I started really raising capital, which was in 2014, I had one no from a private equity group there. Uh, 
and I had one no from a private investor. Everybody else wanted to be involved. Here at Good Planet, I started getting attacked and pelted by investors and funds. Uh, and some didn't even know the story, Jeff. It's funny. I would sit down with them in New York or in San Francisco with these high-level uh, billion-dollar funds, and they would go, you know, uh, what a great story. I said, oh, I'm glad that you know my story. I said, I'm glad you know the pop background. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, I said, did you Google me? And the, the fund managers would look at the analysts, and they're like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would just lay it out, you know, and I would tell them A to Z the story, just like uh, probably more in depth than I'm telling today. And, and they would go, wow, what a resilient guy. You know, what a transparent person you are. How confident we want in. And, and I, you're the most interesting guy in the room because these are just a bunch of finance heads, right? You know what? But they didn't even consider, they didn't care about the felony or the, all the implications mm -hmm. or uh, they were like, we want to be a part of this, right? Uh, so. It just ended up being such a great positive that I always walked out with my head tall and felt like uh, I could just be who I am and not have to hide. You know what I mean? So, but David, David, how do you like be standing on the street corner in Seattle? You're in Seattle now, right? Uh, yeah, Bellevue, but outside. Oh, Bellevue, yeah, yeah, Bellevue. So, how do you stand on the street corner one day, scratch your head, and say, "I think I want to get into vegan cheese"? Mm. I mean, how, how like? Because it could be anything, right? It could be car wash. It could be anything. So yeah. why vegan cheese? And 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 just to be instructive to people who are, are coming out of prison that you know it can be anything, but you got to have some sense about what the wave is in terms of a product. The wave is in terms of financing. Yeah, tell, take us through that just for a second. Yeah, well, when I stepped aside from, I uh, resigned from Pop Gourmet, uh, we really, at that time, I started to do a lot of cleaner products, better for you, natural products there versus the decadent stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so I knew I wanted to do something that was really in the better for you kind of category. And uh, about seven months into late, in late 2017, someone pointed out, my, actually my sister-in-law, that I should be looking at vegan cheese because vegan cheese sucks. And, and I'm like, I have no idea about vegan cheese. But the biggest complaint was it didn't melt and it didn't taste good. So looked at all the products, uh, tested them. I'm like, you know, I'm a simple thinker. You know, I'm like, this can't be that difficult to make it. I mean, it's so bad. This is really going to be easy to improve this, right? Uh, so researched the market, started to understand things, thought vegan was a pretty good opportunity. Then I realized dairy free was a bigger opportunity. Uh, and what I found was I identified a process in dairy cheese. Uh, they make something called analog uh, out of dairy powders and oils. And I'm like, well, maybe that's a process we could probably replicate with plant-based materials. Uh, and I found a place in Greece, actually. I found some place in Wisconsin first, but they didn't want anything to do with me because uh, they didn't want to be in the vegan cheese business. Uh, so I did find a place in Greece, beautiful products that were there. All they did was analog cheese. They're professionals, but they also made something for the Greek Orthodox holiday called vegan loaf. Uh, it's kind of like a, a bland American, uh, but it really melted and had a great texture. So anyway, I, I reached out to them, formed a relationship, uh, got an exclusive contract for plant-based products we would develop together uh, worldwide, except for three countries. 
and uh, built, you know, a core group of products that I knew the consumers would be attracted to. You don't want to get too, again, too, you know, niche. Like I didn't want to come out with a breeders. I wanted to be American cheddar, the things that people buy every day, yeah. right? And as I learned more about my consumer, uh, it went from vegan, vegan to dairy-free to plant-based. And you need to understand, first of all, as for someone that's coming out, don't do something you can't do uh, or try to do something you can't do. Uh, you got to know that you can be successful or believe you can. Um, don't get too wild with something that's not going to make sense to people. Um, so, I mean, you want to be, you want to have something that has a broad appeal or really can be, or is very innovative and stands out that doesn't exist. Uh, but it has to be something you know you can do uh, on your own. Um, this was coming pretty easily as I figured stuff out. But anyway, the plant-based thing, oh, the other thing is, sorry, you need to understand your consumer. Uh, so you need to know who you're going to be selling either your product or services or your ideas to. So that's very important. You don't want to just do stuff and not know where to go. So I learned who our consumers were. And when I understood that they weren't vegans or dairy-free, our new consumer was the millennials, Gen Zs, Gen Xers that wanted products that were better for the planet uh, and better for them. So I learned in my last company that consumers buy packaging and branding first. So I came up with Good Planet. Uh, I came up with a package I knew would step off the shelf. And then you have to have a great product because you capture that consumer. They got to like what's inside. Uh, and then it's a win, right? So that's how I built it. And, um, you know, look, Spencer, uh, when he knew, when I knew he was going to work at least, I mean, really didn't have anything. It was just me and an associate that were doing everything. And I, but mostly me and, uh, Spencer came, uh, work release. I'm like, well, you know what? Why don't you come? Uh, you can help build some cubicles or something and we'll find something for you to do, right? Not kidding. <laughs> so, so, so Spencer's number three person in. Like when yep. you hear when you hear like the number three person into Google or the number three person into Apple, Spencer's another number three person in in work release. Yep. Well, maybe number four. We just had a, brought on a sales guy to start building mm -hmm. with us. But, That's awesome. But uh, look, yes, I had Spencer was doing all kinds of stuff, but uh, and I didn't. I wasn't sure. Look, I mean, Spencer and I had talked to the phone. We had yeah. met. Uh, we met at the prison a few times. Um, but look, I like to help people be successful. He reached out. If I could help, I'm going to help. Yeah. At Popcorn Bay, my whole goal was to hire people that were coming through, you know, give them opportunities through reentry, right? Yeah. That wasn't the goal here at, at, that wasn't part of my plan, a good plan, right? And where would they fit in? We're not, we're not manufacturing, we're sales and marketing. Uh, I mean, it's just, would I look at people? Of course, but it wasn't part of my plan. Mm -hmm. But I think after about six months, Spencer is starting to like shine in all these areas where the other guys working there aren't. And those guys are starting to sweat, right? They're like, you know, they're, they're feeling intimidated by Spencer because Spencer's like coming up with ideas or pointing things out that these guys should figure out and, and they're not. And I'm going, huh, boy, this guy, uh, you know, there's some potential here. So the, the, so, the, the, the non-dairy cream is rising to the top. Exactly. <laughs> Big time. Uh, yeah. Uh, listen, 
Uh, I will tell you, uh, and I don't want to get off track, but I tell this to everybody. First of all, most of the people that I've met uh, that have come out have been more loyal and grateful yeah. than anybody I've ever hired before. Okay. More committed on top of it. Mm-hmm. But I will, I will say that it was serendipitous that I met Spencer because I've gone through a lot of people that have worked for me or tried to be my partner or ride my coattails or take me for a ride mm-hmm. because I do everything and they want to just yeah. get the accolades. To a person, uh, a partner that I could have never expected to have, uh, I mean, literally the best partner I've ever had uh, is Spencer Ober. Uh, because at first I saw that he was smart and a go-getter and would do things and was thoughtful mm-hmm. about you know getting stuff done. He was committed, right? He was grateful for the opportunity. Uh, but then he started taking the time to learn how I would do things mm-hmm. and do them that way, right? The way we talk to customers, the way we respond to customers, the way we follow up on stuff, how fast we respond to emails, uh, all the things that are important in building a business, he started to do. Then, over the time, uh, the trust factor comes in, uh, where we're building this rapport, and I'm like, I can actually trust this guy. I mean, I don't have to keep a list and ask him if he did something. I don't have to check to see if he's doing something he shouldn't. The trust factor came in where I can be hands-off, and I can let Spencer do what he does, and I can go do what I do, and we can grow even faster. So needless to say, one of the guys, our sales guy, resigned because he couldn't keep up with Spencer. But I'm telling you, that's the only reason. It's not he, – he's blown – he has blown an opportunity like you can't believe because he had equity, but he couldn't stand the competition because he couldn't keep up. So yeah. he resigned. He left. Uh, the other guy, Spencer started doing all the work that I wasn't doing, and the other guy didn't want to do the work, so he started freeloading on both of us. And mm. one day I was just like, you know what? You can't be here anymore. You know, you can't say you're the COO and we see you twice a week and we're all doing your work. So yeah, I offered him a lower position, but his ego got in the way, so I tend to tell him to go away. So yeah. uh Spencer's the one that 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 rose to the again, he rose to the top. He's been here every day, 24-7. Again. I, like I said, I mean, he talks about he didn't have to cling on. I mean, he didn't have to jump on and hang on. This is something that <laughs> I was fortunate to find someone that uh, I've needed in my business career, my life for a very long time that I never found before. So it's freed me up to do more. And we have been more successful. So I'm telling you, this business did more in its second year than my my first company did in its fourth year, which was considered very successful. Yeah. So this was a rocket ship. And that's why I was able to accomplish that when we were because of the work that he was doing. And I was able to focus on what I like to do and I'm good at versus get in the weeds because Spencer was doing a lot of the work that I, for me that so I could do what I needed to do. And the funds that came in, Jeff, they could care less about my background. They could care less about Spencer's background or the other two guys that work here that were really 50% of the team initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. they were, were incarcerated. My first friend from prison from that I met in 2003 uh, in whatever, in the chow hall, uh, works for us here as a partner. I mean, he's an amazing partner. And, uh, you know, it's hard to believe that 
here we are again. But these are people that are loyal, grateful, trustworthy, and hard work and smart, right? Yeah. Doers. I think what people don't understand when I tell people about prison is I was a pretty good entrepreneur before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I got stuff done and I could create anything from jewelry to service companies to yeah. uh, uh, truck side advertising systems, whatever. And I, and I was successful, right? Here, uh, I don't sweat stuff anymore. You know, I mean, you, you learn that you have to let go of stuff in prison. You can't control shit. It's going to happen. You just got to work your way through it and figure it out, right? It made me stronger, smarter, uh, and helped me understand and appreciate people and what's important. So maybe a better businessman, maybe a better person. Uh, and the impact that I want to have, forget good planet, that the, you know, what we are doing for the climate and for people's health. But what we're doing for the community overall with mm. what, yeah. what Spencer, I do to uh, to give back, uh, not just in helping people that are coming, reentering our society, but I think, you know, changing the community's perspective, because when I sometimes I get asked to speak and they don't tell the audience that I was incarcerated. They want me to drop the bomb because it's that surprise of that. You don't fit the profile. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have a company, I work with funds, you know, I deal with the former CEO of McDonald's and there are all these other guys, the owner of this and that. And they're like, and then I say I was incarcerated. They're like, holy cow. It just helps people understand that. Yeah. Don't judge, you know, don't paint a picture of people. Uh, and even if you do, don't judge them because they're very probably extremely intelligent and really want to, just because they dress a certain way or look a certain way, doesn't mean they shouldn't be a part of our community and, and be respected. Yeah. Or given an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, so, that's exactly. So Spencer, um, let me, let me frame it. Let me frame this question the right way. So now you're, 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 you've, you're holding on to a rocket ship, right? You've been given the chance of a life. You're part of, you're part of that launch. You've been given this chance and Phil, you have to subscribe to a way of doing things that's very particular, that is not something that you've necessarily been trained for. You have to adapt. And then you ha- also have like a bigger purpose in mind. How does, how does it, how do you go from being on work release? To being a super full-time passionate guy about this, and then how do you wind up getting the idea for um, unincarcerated? How does that happen? The idea for unincarcerated started in prison when David uh, came up with the idea of doing a Shark Tank in prison style show, kind of in collaboration with what we were doing with the entrepreneurship program. So, I mean, the seeds were planted a long time ago. And it was something that we'd been working on kind of in the background here and there. Um, but it was on the back burner for quite a while because good point it, you know, I mean, when it's a couple of us effectively doing the work to build what's now a multi, multi-million dollar company with you know, 20 employees. And you know, like, I mean, David mentioned some of the, some of the people that we, work with and do business with on a day-to-day basis. And it's, it's insane. It's the biggest, the biggest companies, the biggest people in food in the world. Um, and, you know, admittedly, you don't have a, a heck of a lot of free time when you're doing that. 
but it's always been a passion of mine to, to, to really scale exactly what David was talking about and shifting the public paradigm, shifting this country's perspective on people like us, on people who have been in prison, people who have uh, a criminal record, you know, I don't fit the bill myself. Anytime I'm, you know, I'm sitting next to somebody on a plane and, and telling them my story, as soon as I get to that point, you know, it's a very similar reaction to what David gets when he's talking to investors. You know, it's, and, and, and that mind blown moment is what we want to recreate for people who don't have the opportunity to either come into prison and experience it firsthand, which is where I saw a lot of guests who came in uh, be transformed as the guys in there are at the same time having a similar experience. Um, or when somebody's meeting by chance, David or I or someone like us in, in the community, we, I want to, we want to scale that. And that's what Unincarcerated Productions is really about. It's about taking these, taking these stories, taking these concepts for TV shows, podcasts, other forms of media, and making that experience accessible to everyone across the country and doing it in a way that's really engaging, inspiring, and entertaining. So that, so that uh, when people encounter someone like us or when they think about who a prisoner is, who an ex-con is, or a formerly justice involved, whatever word you want to use to describe us, unincarcerated, as far as I'm concerned, um, whenever they think about that, they don't think about who they see on the nightly news who has gotten out and done something terrible or... You know, they don't think of Lock Up Raw or you know, these other very prominent in our society media portrayals of, of people in prison and the prison system. But they think of the, the real human beings and the real amazing stories like David's, like mine, uh, that, that happen, that, that, uh, that are all around them in this country. And in that in and of itself creates opportunity. Because people who are now in a position of power, people who are in a position to give other people an opportunity, like David gave me an opportunity, will do that. They'll feel more moved to they'll feel more moved to open up their whatever whatever their business is or whatever their opportunity is to people, so that they don't have to keep doing that revolving door like that poor guy that that David was talking about earlier. Any of them, it's a vicious circle, right? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what's resonating about both of these pieces for me. Um, because um, I, was a, uh, I was a lawyer. I was general counsel to some large companies. And, but, they're, but they're still closely held. They're family-owned businesses, but very successful. And when you represent family-owned businesses, that means you also represent the family. So, so I was doing mergers and acquisition um, during the day and at night, if one of their kids uh, got pulled over in their Porsche <laughs> at, at 110 miles an hour with a bag of blow in the back, I got that call too. Right? <laughs> so that's just the kind of the way it was. Um, well, I couldn't do that anymore. You know, I went to prison, obviously. And when I came out, I'm still that helper. You know, I'm still that guy who wants that's my calling. That's what I know how to do. Um, I just had to do it differently. And um, so, so 
that's the, that's the lead up to what I find most fascinating. It's because I work with people who are underwater and can't breathe. And I get them to the surface. And that's what I've been doing for 40 years. But once you get to the surface and they got a sore, you know, once they get to the surface and now it's time to do what you guys do, I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm the only reason I've been able to build a ministry is because I know what I do is help people who are drowning. Um, and so it's a really, it took me years to figure that out. You know, that I got to be true to myself and I have to understand what, what makes me get up in the morning, what makes me tick. And so I've given up trying to force myself into being what you would call an entrepreneur. You know what I mean? And that I get to do what I love every single day. And, and so the, um, gee, I, 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 I wish I could have you to work on my business plan, but, but the point is, <laughs> but the point is, is that, yeah, for, of course, but the point is, is that everybody has to be authentic to themselves. Yep. Not everybody's a David Israel, not everybody's a Spencer Oberg, and certainly not everybody's a Jeff Grant. But most people, I think when they come out, they don't know who they are anymore. So what about that? I mean, how do you, what do you, what do you do? What, what was true in your case? And what do you do when someone comes to you and says, I really need some help and I can't figure it out. I'm in my own way. For, for me, I mean, I, it's so true the way that David expressed it and the way that you just expressed it too. I mean, I, I have been the one who's got in my way the most. I was the one, and, and in some cases still am, right? It's not, it's not just flipping a switch when you get out to, to being able to feel comfortable in your own skin to be able to feel confident in who you are and what your calling is and where you're going. It takes, it takes time, effort, work. And sometimes it just takes you making the next step and seeing what reveals itself, right? So when you're driving in the fog, you can't see 10 exits down the road. You know, maybe you can only see a few car lengths. You just have to focus on what's in front of you, mm -hmm. the opportunities that are in front of you and make the most out of every moment. And, and learn and grow through those experiences as you go. You know, it took me, it took me a, a long time to be confident that that having the impact that I that I want to have through unincarcerated and other work on society as a whole regarding the criminal justice system it took me a long time to figure that out. And it took me a long time to be okay with sharing my story mm -hmm. and with being authentically me. And not worrying about what judgment I may or may not get. And incidentally, every time that I share my story, it's, it's always an overwhelmingly positive response that I get. It's always, oh my God, you know, that's so amazing what you've done, how resilient you are, how, how passionate you are and how you're giving back. It's never, wow, you were just a piece of crap and, you know, you should still be in prison. Some people might think that, I don't know, but their thoughts aren't my problem. But Spencer, when you say it took a long time. Um, what's, what's a long time? Because when a guy gets out of prison or a woman gets out of prison, 
um, pretty much they're, from my experience, they're in survival mode. You know, like within X amount of weeks, I have to, I have to make an al I, a child support payment or I have to pay, I have to get an apartment. I have to pay rent. So how do you, how do you mediate all those things? How can you really follow your dream, which is higher order thinking at the same time, be realistic about, you know, within there's rent to pay in 30 days. And, and David, I, I, David, I think you could probably answer this because, because you're a guy who's always in motion. So, so what about the person who comes out of prison and has to, has to has to handle all of those things at once. Uh, personally, I think it's balance. You know, I, I think it's balance. You, you gotta, you have to meet your needs, but you can't let go of your dreams and your passions. Mm -hmm. But it, but sometimes they have to take a back burner, and you have to you have to focus on building a foundation that you can use to launch your dreams and your passions. Because you know, I mean, if you just go go chasing something and and blow off the responsibilities that you have and that you need to attend to if you're going to survive and take care of your family, well, then, you know, it's not going to work out for you. Yeah, it's, uh, it can be overwhelming, right? I mean, uh, I, I understand. I saw it too many times. A lot of great guys uh, that, I mean, we don't make it easy for, for people to, to be released and come home. Uh, yeah. That means some are more fortunate than others. They have family or friends some get dumped off with sixty dollars in a you know uh a, a, a toothbrush and, and you know one outfit right and and the the hurdle of finding a place to live because a lot of places won't even let you move in if you have mm -hmm. something on your your record so that's where we need to change things right i mean we expect people to come back uh and not not get caught up again in crime uh, and want them to be successful and a, and a valued part of our society, uh, we need to give them the opportunity to do so. You know, not not be there with a bat and beat them down or turn our backs on them. We need to say, you know what? Okay, you either you made a mistake or you didn't, but you've been to prison. Uh, and now you're back and you're supposed to do get back on track, right? Do the right thing. We got to support each other and help each other. And that's part of my really what drives me and my passion is to get the society to open their eyes, uh, their minds and their hearts to being welcoming and saying, let's support not just people that are being, re you know, that have been incarcerated, but it, together, we all need to work together. I mean, end of the day, we're be successful. We have to work together. That's a philosophy here at our company that I've learned. I mean, the egos are gone. It's all, we all work together. Let's have a good time and be successful. We want to see you want to see everybody else be successful. It's not all about you. So that's where we need to be. Uh, I mean, that's a big thing, big ask, but uh, we'll be a much better place. But we need to change how we treat people coming home. Uh, instead of trying to trip them up, we need to help uh, build them up and, and get on the right track. Right. That's beautiful. Um, I would love if the two of you would. Um, consider attending uh, uh next monday night is the 250th meeting of our white collar support group oh. and um so that's five years of weekly meetings 
So um, love to invite the two of you and um, at some point in the near future to uh, be guest speakers on that support group call as well, because then it's real questions and answers and you can, we can dig into this. Um, any last, uh, what, are, what are takeaways? Um, because I want to be respectful of your time, Spencer. I know you have a meeting coming up. Um, last takeaways and your contact information for both Good Planet foods and for uh, unincarcerated. Um, Spencer, why don't you go first? Just um, takeaways and contact information. We'll go to David and then we'll, uh, then we'll sign out. Right. I think the biggest takeaway is to take a chance on yourself and keep daring to believe that you're worth success that you in whatever your version of success is. Mm -hmm. Jeff, you mentioned that you get to do what you love every single day. To me, that is success. And to, for, for somebody who's in a situation where they're coming out of prison or a situation where maybe they're facing going into prison, it's easy to question your worth and it's easy to question whether you're, it was for me anyway, easy to question whether I was worthy of the life that I envisioned for myself. So my takeaway is to get out of your own way and to know that you are, everybody makes mistakes. And, you know, it, it's, it doesn't mean you have to be proud of those mistakes, but you can be proud of who those mistakes lead you to become and where they take you in life. And to, to lean into whatever it is that you're going through, focus on that, that, uh, that next step in front of you and just be the, be the best version of you that you can be in, in that moment. And good things will, will happen. I mean, amazing things continue to happen to me um, that when I went into prison, I certainly didn't believe were possible. And when I came out, maybe I even questioned whether whether they were possible or whether I'm, I was worthy of those opportunities and those um, just the amazing things. But I absolutely am. And so is everybody else. And, um, you know, that's 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 my takeaway. Don't be your own biggest enemy. Don't, don't be your own worst enemy. Be your biggest fan without getting into too much ego or being a jerk about it. I like that. Uh, contact information. Well, you can contact me uh, at email at spencer at unincarcerated.com. You can check out the unincarcerated.com website. You can follow Unincarcerated on Instagram. And you can, of course, find us at goodplanetfoods.com and follow Good Planet on Instagram and LinkedIn and all the other all the other platforms as well. So we'd love to hear from everybody. Um, shoot me an email or get at me through one of those, one of those websites or one of the social platforms. And you can follow me personally on those two. I'm on Instagram at Spencer Oberg sure. and others, but probably more active Instagram and LinkedIn. Thanks Spencer. David takeaways, contact information. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I live by the mantra that, Everything happens for a reason, uh, and it's just what you deal with. It. Don't let, don't be overwhelmed. Uh, don't, don't give up. Um, you can always find a better place. And I think most, if you look back, you'll see that when you've had something happen, you end up in a better place anyway, right? Uh, so I kind of like to roll the punches. I've learned this. Like I said, I wouldn't change anything for just wouldn't. I mean, I can't. You you want to move forward and. And learn from what your past has taught you. Uh, 
everybody's going to have problems. So it's not just you. It's not just me. Uh, no matter who you are in this world, Bezos, Gates, whoever you think, the celebrities, they all have problems and uh, they may be worse than yours. So, you know, like I said, you just take what you can, learn from it, move forward in a positive way that isn't selfish, um, but that forwards you and gives creates progress. You got to work for a win-win. Uh, if it's about you, you're going to lose. So, mm. you know what I mean? I, I just, again, it's to me, it's about everybody working together and, and, and being happy for others' success uh, because it pays dividends and it drives you around. So there's nothing you can't do. Uh, we're proof. Uh, and there's a lot of other people out there that have, have proven that as well, sure. mm -hmm. uh, that have had health issues or, or any kinds of other things that attack you, right? So going to prison is okay compared to having cancer or losing a limb. Or, there's all kinds of terrible things. So like I said, everything happens for a reason. We can use that to, to move forward and be more successful. Love the contact information, David. Yeah, D Israel, I-S-R-A-E-L, at goodplanetfoods.com. Um, David Spencer, thank you. You've, uh, you've been tremendous guests. Um, and I, thank you. And I look forward to more chapters of the, uh, unincarcerated podcast because I found them, uh, really, really helpful and uh, fascinating. So thank you for being, uh, our guest and, um, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on White Collar Week, sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries. You can learn more about us on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist, like feminist. And please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast so that families suffering in silence can find us if they need us. See you next time.